the, the main point here is there's no one size fits all, right? It depends on where you are on the journey. If you're just starting out W2, one property, that's going to be one thing. If you are now, you know, you have tens of millions, tens of millions of dollars in assets and you, you know, that you may start looking at asset protection trust or, you know, equity stripping strategies or liens or things like that, because you're at that level. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, our guest is Amarusio Raul. He's a founder of Premier Law Group, previously general counsel for uh, the Real Estate Guys radio show, 22 years of securities experience, uh, featured by Top 100 Magazine as a Top 100 attorney, represents many well-known real estate syndicators uh, like Brandon Turner and, and a number of others that I know uh, we're all familiar with. I've known Mauricio for a long time and uh, he's been on the show uh, many, many times. He makes a joke about it. Uh, but uh, we are diving in uh, over a couple of days here and focusing on uh, say entity formation, asset protection, estate planning. And first uh, today for the passive investor uh, specifically, uh, where tomorrow is going to be very focused on those things towards the operator or the syndicator. Right, so if you're a passive investor, today is the show for you for thinking about the the formation of entities and even where those should be uh, and even things around bank accounts and uh, you know how when should I do this and how many passive investments can I make in that entity are all coming up today. Mauricio, welcome back to the show. Honored to connect with you again. No, it's good to have be uh, be back. It's been it's been a while, but uh, I think this is my what seventeenth or eighteenth appearance now. It's I think it's my fifth appearance or something. But uh, yeah, it's good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you again as always, and uh, just grateful for the time and you know and you being willing to share uh, and really help uh, I, both sides of our listeners here, whether they're passive you know investors or they're syndicators. Uh, you definitely have the skill set to to add a lot of value to them. So I'm grateful for your time uh, today and and over. Actually, just so the listeners know, we're going to do a, a little series here. We'll do a couple shows and and uh, hopefully help both of those individuals or, or both sides of the transaction. There, I'll say. I love it. Um, so, Mauricio, you know, I'm grateful uh, again. Uh, you know, give us a uh, maybe a little update on yourself. Uh, you know, it's been a, a number of years. Uh, you know, and, and then let's dive in. Yeah, it's been a couple of years now. Kids are getting bigger and uh, moved to an office. I, I finally got to a, a big boy now. I've got my own office as opposed to working out of my home office. We actually enjoyed it quite a bit, but I actually, to tell you the truth, I got kicked out of the house. And so now I'm down at the office here, which is nice. Got like a little bit of a studio. Um, started my own podcast, actually, since we met out. I think about it, uh, geared really exclusively to, to syndicators. It's called Real Estate Syndicator Live. And um, and then we started another fun podcast called Drunk Real Estate. So I've been doing a lot of content, a lot of podcasting really trying to get my message out there. I've been fortunate enough to, to partner with some great people. And so I, I really have people that kind of running the day-to-day -day operations now. So it allows me to focus more on educating and traveling and, and putting content out on the YouTube channel and just trying to add as much value as I can. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, well, I, I'm looking forward to furthering the discussion here and, and really want to today focus on the passive investor, you know, Mauricio. And, and I know, you know, your specialty in a major and amongst many on the legal side, you know, is that entity formation, asset protection, estate planning, want us to dive into some of that today for yeah. the passive investor. Uh, and, and, you know, you being the expert, I'd love for almost you, know, you to get us started, uh, you know, in, in one of those, uh, you know, where should we start? Where should the passive investor start? Uh, and let's walk through some of that. Yeah, it's funny. I'm, obviously, I'm a syndication attorney, but I, I'm a recovering asset protection attorney. I actually worked for one of the most, let's, we use the word notorious, notorious plaintiff's attorneys 
up in the San Francisco Bay Area. You had these late night commercials, uh, and, and I was kind of involved, uh, you know, right in between before law school. So I've got a lot of experience working as a plaintiff's attorney, so I know how they think. And so that's where was this you know, before or after Judge Judy? This uh, was a way before Judge. This is I'm like I'm, 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 I'm going to be uh, on the same I'm channel dating myself. It, this was like 25 years ago. I've been doing this for a while. Yeah, I was right out of college. But uh, yeah, so on, on the passive side, you know, we I get this a lot, right? A lot of the passive investors are the, you know, just folks who are investing in, in, in real estate in general, or maybe they're investing in operators. This question always arises is, hey, is insurance all I need? Do I need to set up an LLC? Do I need to do all this stuff? I see so many TikTok videos out there that say, oh, you don't need any of that. You just get an insurance policy and you're good. Other people say you need some fancy asset protection trust offshore in the Cayman Islands or whatever. And what I've what I try to explain to people, it, it really is, it's like having layers. I, I've now come up with these, this idea, this analogy of having layers, just like you have layers of clothing, right? So, so if it's like today I'm in SoCal, it's a beautiful day. So maybe you good, I can go out and wear a t-shirt, right? So no problem. I got my, my one layer of clothing, but you know, this evening it's going to get a little cooler. I may have to put my sweater on, right? A little, little, little bit more tidied up. And, but if it starts getting really cold and it's, you know, then I might put a jacket on and then it really winter's come, then I got a coat on it. So it just depends on the environment is what I need. If it's a really hot day, I don't need a jacket, but if it's freezing cold, my t-shirts and jeans aren't going to cut it. And so it's a similar thing with, with asset protection and entity formation. It just depends on where you are in the spectrum. If you're just starting out, for example, right? And you're buying your first single family home and you're putting down five or 10 grand, then you probably only need to have number one insurance because insurance is always your first line of defense, right? So you want to have an insurance policy in case somebody slips and falls on your property or you have some dispute with the, you know, with, with the tenants or whatever. You want to have an insurance policy. And I would also suggest that insurance alone is not going to cut it because there's so many holes in an insurance policy, which we can get to in a second. And so you generally want to have that coupled with an LLC, you know, an entity. Nothing fancy, just get an LLC probably in the state where your property is located. But that combination of insurance as your first line of defense and then an LLC as a backstop in case insurance doesn't cut it, that's probably good enough for most people who are just starting out, right? But as you get more and more advanced, as you acquire a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth property, or as you start investing in more and more syndications, well, now it starts to look a little bit different. Now you may need to have, you definitely need to have some LLCs in there. But you may not want to have multiple LLCs so that you can separate all those assets because one of the core principles of, of asset protection that everybody needs to understand is when that LLC gets sued, if there is a if there is a dispute and there's a judgment against the LLC, all of the assets inside that LLC are exposed, right? So if you have 17 properties in that one LLC, well, then I'm going to be able to access all 17 properties versus if I had 17 LLCs, I'd only be able to access one of those properties. Now, I'm not suggesting you have 17 LLCs, but that's when you work with your practitioner and you start figuring out, well, do we put three or four in one? It really depends on your risk tolerance. It depends on how much equity are in these properties. But just understand that if there's a slip and fall or there's a judgment against the property owner, which would be the LLC, anything that the LLC owns is going to be fair game no matter what you have. So any bank accounts that the LLC has, that's going to be fair game. And then obviously if there's a property, then the equity in that property is going to be fair game. And if I have seven properties in there, then all of those will be there. So that's one of sort of the more sort of basic things, but it, it really depends on where you are. Because again, if you have three or four, then we, we start having multiple entities. And then we start worrying about the two angles of protection. Everybody usually thinks of one angle, but there's actually two when you think, think about it. So the first angle is something happens at your property, right? Tenant slips and falls. 
your boiler explodes and you know injures the family, like all those catastrophic things that you can think of that happen at the property, you need protection for that, right? And that's where insurance comes in. And also an LLC would protect you on that. But you also got to remember that you are a liability producing machine. You're out there every day creating liability. You're driving a car, people get into car accidents all the time. You're in, you're in business, you're entering the business contracts. So what happens if you get into trouble unrelated to your properties, unrelated to your assets? Let's say the car accident's the great example. You get into a car accident, there's a huge judgment against you. Your car insurance only covers a certain amount. Whatever your insurance isn't enough. And now they're looking to see, well, what else can I collect? What else does this Mauricio guy have? Does he have property? Does he have a home? Does he have bank accounts? And they start doing asset searches. You want to make sure that I don't own the property itself. I own an LLC. And at that point, I own an LLC in a jurisdiction that really is going to protect me. That's not going to allow somebody to come in and just take that LLC away from me because that's just as bad, right? Just because I don't own the property, if they take that LLC from me and now they can liquidate the assets, then they get paid. It doesn't really help me. So that's where the different jurisdictions comes in. But again, the, the main point here is there's no one size fits all, right? It depends on where you are on the journey. If you're just starting out W2, one property, that's going to be one thing. If you are now you know, you have tens of millions, tens of millions of dollars in assets and you, you know, that you may start looking at asset protection trust or, you know, equity stripping strategies or liens or things like that, because you're at that level. Speak to, you know, the passive investor who's say, uh, just investing in syndications, uh, right? We own no real estate personally, or I'm not, you know, no duplexes, no anything like that, but I'm going to invest in, in, you know, with an operator, you know, when should, you know, should they invest to in an entity? What are some things, considerations there? Uh, and, and then even go to the, say, person that's making their 10th passive investment, right? You know, how many entities should they have or should they all, you know, should we have a different, you know, entity for all these investments or, you know, how many, or what's your thoughts, suggestions? Great question. So when you're a passive investor, I would have, I always recommend every passive investor have at least one LLC. I call it a holding company because the LLC doesn't do anything. It's not doing any other business. It's not operating anything. It's literally just there to hold your membership certificates in this indication, right? So it's going to be one LLC, a holding company, and you want to set that up in a, in a jurisdiction, in a state that has the strongest asset protection available for you, right? And so that's going to be your Wyoming's of the world. That's why you'll hear a Wyoming LLC or a Nevada LLC or even a Delaware LLC. And we were just talking about this before we came on, Texas now as of September 1st of uh, this year, they passed a statute in their in, in their laws that now make those Texas just as good as the Wyoming's and the Nevada's and the Delaware. So if you're a passive investor that lives in Texas, no reason to set it up anywhere else, set up a Texas LLC. But the only thing that LLC does, does nothing else but simply sits there in Texas or in Wyoming or in Delaware, holding the membership certificates of that syndication, right? It, it conducts no business. So there's really no risk of, of anybody getting into trouble because it's not it's not conducting business with the outside world. And to be honest with you, because it's a passive investment and all it's doing is holding this bucket with all these membership certificates, you can have an unlimited amount, really. You, if you're invested in 25 different syndications, as long as you're a limited partner and you have no say in those syndications, literally a passive investor, there's no reason why you couldn't have all of those five, all of those 10, 15, 20 syndications in that same holding company that's set up in a really strong asset protection state. Uh, and the benefit of that really comes into play, again, the example of the car accident. If you get into a car accident 
and there is, I'm making this up, let's say it's a catastrophic car accident. There's a $5 million judgment against you. Your car insurance isn't going to cover you for that. Even your homeowner's insurance, that's not enough. So now there's a, there's a gap and they want to come after you. Well, think about it. you only own, you know, a Texas LLC, for example, right? That's what I own. I don't own the syndication. I don't certainly don't own the property. So I own a Texas LLC and that Texas LLC is going to prevent the creditor from getting access to the LLC control. And it's going to, it's going to prevent them from getting ownership. So I don't lose control of my LLC. What they get is the distribution. So whatever distributions I get from the syndications, I'm supposed to turn those over to my creditor. But what's the first thing I'm going to do? I'm going to turn off my distributions. Like, why would I distribute myself money if it's going to go to a creditor? So that's the leverage that you have because now the creditor doesn't have, you know, doesn't have cash flow and now you, you need to negotiate. And what it really does, and going back to my story about being in a, a plaintiff's attorney at one point or working for one, is that all of that, a plaintiff's lawyer only gets paid if they can collect. Right. So when somebody goes to a plaintiff's lawyer, they work on contingency, right? They they only get paid if you win. So if they can't see a path forward to getting paid, they're not going to go spend the next three years of their life trying to fight and get your judgment against you, even though they think they can get a judgment. If there's no way for them to collect because all they see is a bunch of entities and it's like a roadblock and they know it's going to be difficult to actually get it, they're much more likely to either A, not take the case, which is what we used to do. We used to be like, there's nothing there. Let's not even take the rear ender that we have. Or it'll it'll really force them to negotiate and settle early, usually for, for insurance policy limits. So something I thought of there, actually two questions came of that. Uh, you know, one thought quickly is, you know, they live in the past investor lives in uh, Virginia or Minnesota or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's the relation to where this entity, where this entity is formed? You know, I get that question often. Should it be Delaware? Should it be Wyoming? Should, you know, it uh, doesn't matter, you know, maybe now Texas. Uh, you know, or should yeah, be, I would set, you know. yeah, I would set it up in a, one of those five. I would set up in Wyoming, Nevada, Delaware, or Texas, because they have the strongest charging order protections. Meaning if, if I get into a car accident, they won't be able to take those shares away from me. I'm going to, they're going to be limited to a charging order, which is just the, the distributions. Right. But remember you typically will set up the LLC where business is being conducted, but just because you lived in Virginia, remember this LLC isn't doing any business. It's just literally sitting there in yeah. the state of Washington. I'm sorry, in the, the state of Wyoming or the state of Texas, Literally just sits there with a bucket. I think of it as a bucket in their hand. Like they're sitting down. I picture this. I don't know why I do this. I picture them just sitting on the floor, right? A bare floor with a bucket and all these pieces of paper. The membership certificates are in there. They're not conducting business anywhere. So we can set it up anywhere we want. And so we want to set it up in one of those four or five states that have really strong asset protection states. Do you recommend uh, the, uh, you know, thinking even through, uh, you know, whether it's asset protection or ultimately estate planning here, uh, potentially, you know, the, uh, the passive investor having their spouse, you know, as a member of this holding company. Yeah. So the spouse for asset protection purposes, it's still considered a single member LLC. That's the, that's the weak link on these LLCs, right? If you have a legitimate partnership, like I know you, you've got your part, your business partner, or even if you and I, you know, connect and we, we start a company together, or maybe we do a syndication together and there's two, two business partners, then the protection I get there is actually pretty strong because there's a, I'll get into the weeds a little bit. There's a public policy. So if I, again, if I get into a car accident, it's not fair for you. If, if some creditor comes in and takes, you know, takes my interest. Now you're in, you're in business with this person. Like, and, and I have, my creditor has no interest in running the business with you, Whitney, and, and doing the syndication, doing well by the, they just want to liquidate the assets and get paid. So there's a public policy of preventing the creditor to suddenly force you to be in business with them just because your partner got into some, some, some accident or some business dispute. And now you're stuck with a creditor who has no interest in running the business for you. That that thinking or that 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 uh, policy doesn't doesn't apply if it's just you, 
if it's just a single member, then you think about it, that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense, right? And so a husband and wife, they consider the same thing as a single member. So that doesn't help you there, which is why you want to set these up in those states that give you the same protection as a single member, as a multi-member. And those are really those, those states that we're talking about, Wyoming, Nevada, Delaware, and now Texas. Yeah, no, I get that question often. And, you know, in the past, I've even thought about it for myself, you know, should my spouse be on the air? What does that look like? And and does it matter where this entity is? I get that uh, as well. I think that's helpful. Any other thoughts around, uh, you know, helping this passive investor to think through asset protection, Any anything else that you would leave them with as, you know, they're maybe beginning to invest or it's like, hey, I want to have this set up right from the beginning, uh, you know, maybe when this should take place. It's so inexpensive these days. So if you're even if it's your first ever syndication that you're making and, and you're investing a relatively small amount, $25,000, which, you know, it's it, most of them are really 50,000 minimum. But even if it's a small amount, setting up a Wyoming LLC, is, Wyoming is probably my favorite jurisdiction because it is so inexpensive. It literally costs you $100 to file and $50 for your, your filing fees. You're literally talking $150. And then from an annual renewal standpoint, um, it's just whatever the registered agent is. And we, we've got registered agents that do it for like $50. So it's so inexpensive that it's just worth having that LLC. Now, the important thing though is to, and this is kind of when I talk about this in the book, uh, the legal strategies for everyone is that you want to keep good records and you want to make sure that you're treating your entity as a separate company. One of the biggest mistakes people make is they start commingling those two entities, right? They're commingling funds or they use their credit card for this business for their personal stuff or they buy groceries with their holding company or they do business stuff. On the, you want to keep them separate. So for starters, you want to have a, a separate bank account. Even if you don't use it, you want to have a separate bank account for each of your LLCs. So if you set up a holding company in Wyoming, you want a Wyoming bank account, which means you need an EIN. Anything that you can do to show the world that these are two distinct entities or people. There's Mauricio individually, and then this LLC. We are separate, legally distinctive. Uh, that's critical. And, and the fastest way to lose that protection is, is A, not keeping good records, not documenting everything, but also commingling those funds will be the fastest track where a judge will say, hey, you're just using this as your alter ego. You're not really respecting the, the separation. It's going to all collapse. So you got to keep that separation. You know, you mentioned something there. I don't think I've heard before, but maybe this is a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> Your, no, no dumb you know, questions you, here. You mentioned, um, you know, a Wyoming bank account, uh, yeah. and so is it is it important where the bank account is? I I believe so, and this is why. If you're not living in Wyoming, there's always the argument that people will try and make and say, "Look, you don't have connections with. We're not going to use Wyoming law. We're going to use California law, for example, because you 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 live in California. Everything's happening in California, so you really need to make the strongest connection possible." to the state of Wyoming for let's use Wyoming example. That's why if you're living in Texas, it's easy because you live in Texas. But if you don't, you wanna you wanna create that nexus. And the easiest, one of the easiest ways to create a nexus is to set up a bank account in the state. Now I know it's a little bit of a pain. You may have to get in your car, drive to Wyoming or, or, or jump in a car. That's why for Californians, Nevada is a little bit easier because I can literally go to Vegas for the weekend and open a bank account in Nevada, right? But that's just one more connection with the state. If you wanna go the next step, you would have set up an office and a phone number and a fax number, not that anybody uses fax anymore, but literally have all of that information. So either have an office in Wyoming or more realistically have one of these, I don't call them a virtual office, but you can connect with a real physical office that you kind of, it's kind of a fractional office. So they'll just rent out rooms or whatever. And so again, you're just trying to create as many connections as possible to stay. And obviously if you travel to the state, the more, the better, but it's really a connection. So you can overcome the argument that somebody may say, look, 
I know that uh, your LLC is in Wyoming, but I really want to apply Virginia law because that's where you live and that's where the accident happened and you don't have any connections to that state. You at least can say, no, 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 I've got a, a phone number in Wyoming, a bank account in Wyoming, an address in Wyoming would be a, definitely an address, but a physical location, the more the merrier. And there's a lot of companies out there that will actually, for a fee, obviously, can set you up with a physical office for you know maybe $1,000 or whatever. That just, again, creates that, that nexus with the state, which is important. Wow. No, that's, that's, I'm actually, I'm surprised that I don't think that's ever come up before as far as like the location of the bank account yeah. as well. Like I've got, I'm actually facing that issue right now because I have a company in Wyoming that I use to hold some of my intellectual property. And uh, well, actually the book is one of them. And so they want to start sending me money and I'm like, I got to set up a bank account, but I don't want to go down the street and open a bank account here in California. I want to set it up in Wyoming. It used to be much easier, right? It used to be that you didn't have to go fly to Wyoming and meet face to face. I haven't tried it in a while. Uh, there, there was a time where you could do that right before COVID actually where side stories, Wells Fargo specifically had, 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 had offices over there. And so you had to go to your local branch in, in, in Wells Fargo just to prove that you weren't a terrorist and you were a real person. And here's my ID. And then they would communicate that information to Wyoming and then they would open up a Wyoming bank account. They stopped that, but there might be other banks that you might be able to open a bank account in Wyoming without having to be face to face. If you can do that, obviously, and I guess I'll find out maybe when I, you have me back or maybe I'll shoot you a, 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 an email because I, that I'm literally in the minute of that. I've got to create an LLC. I'm not going to create it here. I've got to create it in Wyoming. So I'm going to start looking for banks now that ideally will allow me to open it without me having to get on a plane and, and fly to Wyoming. But if I got to fly to Wyoming, it's worth that much to me. I'd rather have a Wyoming bank account, a Wyoming EIN, a Wyoming you know phone number and all that stuff to show that I've got that connection with the state of Wyoming. No, that's very valuable to think through uh, in those steps and, and man, even having a bank account there and, and what else and there, we can there have are, there. By the way, when there are some, and I'm not sure I 100% agree with this, but there are some that go the next level and they hold their membership certificates of their LLC in a safe deposit box in the bank in the state. And so they will argue that the 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 the, the membership certificates, because those are physically located in Wyoming or Nevada, whatever your thing is, that's the next step. Now, I don't know if that's going to fly, but it's another argument, right? Hey, my my shares are in the state of Wyoming. It's just another next. That's what that's what all these guys are trying to do. They're trying to create because I don't live there. I'm trying to create a nexus. Yeah. No, that's very helpful. Mauricio, very grateful for uh, just talking through man, the things passive investors need to know here around asset protection, entity formation, uh, as they are uh, attempting to uh, protect their families, right? They're wanting to invest and want to know that they're doing it right uh, or as safe as they possibly can and thinking long-term. Uh, where can they get in touch with you and find your new book? Well, my new book is called Legal Strategies for Everyone, and I actually set up a website. So it's legalstrategiesforeveryone.com. So you can check out the book there. It'll be on Amazon, I think, in the first week of March. And then if you want to get a hold of me uh, personally, you can always go to askmauricio.com, askmauricio.com, and that'll put you in touch with uh, with me. And I'm you know, putting a lot of work on, on, on YouTube. So if you want to see, a, I've got, I think, 300 videos now on YouTube. So if you just search Mauricio Old on YouTube, that'll that'll get you some more information as well. Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today.